Taiwan reported 75 local COVID infections on Monday, the lowest daily case count since the Level 3 COVID alert came into effect. At his daily press conference, Health Minister Chen Shizong urged the public not to let down its guard. Monday's COVID death toll was 20 people, which was little changed from the days before. Chen said the daily death count should start to decline in the coming one to two weeks. He said as more beds uh, free up at hospitals, higher-risk patients with mild symptoms will be transferred in from hotels and quarantine centers for close monitoring. To prevent the spread of the Delta variant, Taiwan plans to beef up its testing on international arrivals. All arrivals may soon need to undergo COVID testing after completing their 14 days of quarantine. So far, Taiwan has only had five cases of the Delta variant, all of them imported. First identified in India, the highly transmissible Delta variant is ravaging the world. It's giving rise to a suite of non-traditional COVID symptoms that make it hard to distinguish from the common cold. With the global rise of the Delta variant, the list of classic COVID symptoms is changing. Headache and a runny nose are becoming more common. Among those who contract COVID after vaccination, sneezing is emerging as a symptom. Meanwhile, the loss of smell and taste are no longer in the top 10. It looks like the traditional symptoms are changing. A runny nose is becoming more common. This is different from what we saw at the beginning with the Wuhan variant, which mostly caused lower respiratory tract symptoms, coughing, body aches and fatigue. Less than 10% of those cases experience a runny nose, with COVID symptoms starting to move up the respiratory tract and a runny nose becoming a top symptom, it could mean that the strains are becoming milder rather than more severe. My view is that COVID-19 is likely to develop into something like a common cold. Indeed, COVID symptoms are becoming harder to distinguish from the common cold. With its increased transmissibility, the Delta variant has swept Portugal, where it now accounts for 96% of new cases. In Italy, it accounts for 20% and in Belgium, 16 It's also spread into the UK and France. To prevent the spread of the Delta variant within Taiwan, the CECC is leaning toward doing follow-up testing on overseas arrivals after the end of their quarantine. Theoretically, this will be able to identify the small number of people who are infected but don't show signs of the virus until later on. These people are still at risk of spreading the virus to the community, so it is worthwhile to test people after the home quarantine is over. Currently, all arrivals are tested at the border if they have COVID symptoms. They are not tested again after completing their 14 days of quarantine. If the CECC finalizes its plan to test all arrivals post-quarantine, it would effectively be instating universal entry screening, a major policy shift in Taiwan's border control. A cluster infection that broke out among migrant workers in Miaoli is being brought under control. So far, 471 people at various electronics factories have tested positive for COVID. But there has been a sharp decline in viral spread, with only six cases reported since Saturday. To prevent new outbreaks, the Ministry of Labour has updated its COVID prevention guidelines for companies that hire migrant workers. Uh, Employers must carry out four main measures. The first is that migrant workers are to be physically compartmentalized. Employees who live in the same room should work in the same area or on the same assembly line. Laundromats and other common areas should be reserved for different groups at different times. 
The second measure concerns employers who outsource dormitory arrangements to brokerage firms. Workers with different employers cannot be housed on the same floor of a building. The third measure is that employers will have to conduct daily health checks on migrant workers and collect travel history, occupation, contact history and cluster information. Body temperatures shall be taken every day and records kept on outside movements, contact history and gatherings. Fourth, employers must provide rooms to house employees individually in the event that they test positive for COVID. The updated guidelines come into effect on Monday. Companies that don't implement adequate changes will be asked to make improvements by a deadline. In severe cases of non-compliance, they may be fined up to 300,000 NT. Rapid COVID test kits for home use are soon to reach Taiwan, allowing people to check their status in minutes. But a pharmacist association in Pingdong says that leaving people to their own devices could result in false negatives or unreported positives. They suggest home test kits only be sold at pharmacies and that all buyers be required to show their NHI card. They believe pharmacists should be on hand to help people use the kits and to report the results to authorities if necessary. Open the package and swab the inside of both nostrils. Stir the sample in the vial and you'll get a result in less than 30 minutes. Soon, home test kits like this will be available for purchase in Taiwan. But Chen Chun-Gui, head of the Pingdong County Pharmacist Association, says letting people test themselves comes with risks. If they are positive but don't use the kit properly, it could yield a false negative. Using the test kit improperly can result in inaccurate readings. Chen also says there is no way to ensure that people who test positive at home will report themselves according to Taiwan CDC guidelines. He suggests requiring an NHI card for each purchase and to have pharmacists help buyers use the kits and report positive results. It can work similarly to the face mask rationing system, having a professional pharmacist sell the kits and teach the buyer how they are used. The pharmacist can also check the results and immediately notify the relevant health bodies so that they can do follow-up. Five rapid test products are expected to reach the market by late June. Already, some websites are accepting pre-orders and some pharmacies are promoting the products on Facebook, wading into legally murky territory. I'd like to remind businesses that the kits can't be sold online. Doing so contravenes Article 18 of the Medical Devices Act. According to Article 70, that is punishable with a fine of between 30,000 and 1 million NT. The Pingdong County Pharmacist Association says that when the home test kits arrive, it's impossible to know how the public will use them. It's put forward a slate of recommendations as it calls for stronger government oversight. Authorities are racing to contain an outbreak at Taiwan's largest wholesale and packaging center for fruits and vegetables. As of Monday, 45 people have tested positive at markets run by the Taipei Agricultural Products Marketing Corporation. Taipei plans to vaccinate 4,000 market staff, wholesalers and contractors within three days. In New Taipei, mass COVID screening is underway with 1,800 people to get tested a second time this week. 
With the fruit market cluster growing, New Taipei's wholesale markets are on high alert. Taking advantage of Monday's market holiday, the city conducted a complete disinfection under the mayor's supervision. Several weeks earlier, when the Taipei market's first case broke out, a New Taipei wholesaler had warned that the virus could spread fast across the market network, becoming a national concern. After diagnosing that case, they did not expand contact tracing. That has resulted in this chain of transmission. Food is a very important thing. This wholesale and packaging company, it has the daily necessities of people on its shoulders. If this cluster truly explodes, it will jeopardize the people's everyday necessities, becoming a national security issue. There is a consortium of farmers co-ops, such as the National Farmers Association, that are stationed in both Taipei and New Taipei. In addition, drivers and buyers often travel frequently between the two cities. Fearing transmission by undetected cases, New Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi says a mobile team will be sent out to test all market workers twice. We will send a mobile rapid screening unit to carry out quick screening once more. As for vaccination, arrangements must be made for frontline staff such as auctioneers, warehouse tally clerks and inspection personnel to get vaccinated. To prevent further viral spread at wholesale markets, Taipei City has arranged rapid screening and plans to vaccinate 4,000 workers. On Tuesday, New Taipei plans to conduct a second test on 1,800 market workers in Banqiao and Sanchong. It also plans to vaccinate some 150 frontline workers over in Taoyuan. People who work at or frequent two major fruit and vegetable markets will need to go to community stations for testing. They will also be given priority for vaccination. As for Jilong, no arrangements for vaccination have been made at present. We've arranged for procurers and market staff to go to community centers for screening. In addition, they have completed registration, and once they are eligible for vaccines, they will get priority. With COVID threatening the food supply chain in northern Taiwan, local governments are taking every precaution to slow the spread. Seven staff members from Taiwan's de facto consulate have departed Hong Kong after their visa extensions were denied. Their exit leaves just one Taiwan official at the representative office. As a condition for a visa extension, the Hong Kong government required the staff to sign a letter committing to Beijing's One China principle. Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council said the requirement violated the agreement under which the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office was established in Hong Kong in 2011. The council said that Taiwan will never compromise on the issue of its sovereignty. The government of Hong Kong has put pressure on Taiwan on behalf of China, which once again shows that one country, two systems is dead in all but name. We have never interfered in Hong Kong's internal affairs, despite the government's unwillingness to face Hong Kong as pursuit of democracy. The Hong Kong government should not use that as an excuse to retaliate against Taiwan by deliberately making things hard. Chou Taishan, head of Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council, said that Taiwan would not tolerate being politically diminished by Hong Kong's government. He also rejected accusations that Taiwan had interfered in Hong Kong's internal affairs. Chou said that going forward, Taiwan will continue to defend the rights of the people of Taiwan and Hong Kong. He said that travel applications for Hong Kongers to Taiwan will continue to be processed and trade events and student recruitment will continue online. Ministry of Labor is asking people not to take out COVID relief loans to trade stocks. 
More than a million people have applied for the low-interest loan since applications opened last Tuesday. The Labour Ministry said it has no authority to prevent borrowers using their money on stocks. It can only appeal to the public to save COVID relief loans for those truly in need. Applications are surging for this year's COVID relief loans. Last year, it took 22 days to reach 1 million applications. This year, even with income restrictions in place, it took just four days to reach 1 million applications for the 500,000 loans available. As before, not all the applicants are in urgent need of relief. On the popular online forum PTT, one user described taking out a COVID relief loan. The user said the stock market was hot and that now was the time to strike. The user asked for investment advice, asking whether the relief loan should go toward airline and shipping stocks or toward panels. I don't think that's right, because you don't need the money. You took that loan from someone who really needs it. I think it's unconscionable to do a thing like this. The relief loan is meant to help you solve a problem, a financial problem. It is not money for you to play around with on the stock market. That internet user's not alone. In another post, a user said her boyfriend intends to apply for a 100,000 NT COVID relief loan and invest the entire amount in stocks. She said she urged against it, but he insisted that it was a safe investment because the loan's interest rate was very low. She asked the internet, is it really a safe bet? The relief loan is offered at an interest rate of 1.845% and a term of three years. For the first six months, payments on principal start at month seven, and only at month 13 do amortizing payments begin on principal and interest. By most standards, the loan terms are attractive. Investing is inherently risky. Our hope is that this relief loan program can help those who are truly under financial pressure and those who have an urgent need. We wanted to help them get through this difficult time. When they apply, they put a check mark on the form to declare that they have material needs and that they need relief due to COVID. We have them make a declaration. But if they go on to use the money for other purposes, we cannot confiscate it or do anything else. The Ministry of Labor says its hands are tied when borrowers use relief loans to buy stocks. According to its data on last year's COVID relief loans, 10,932 borrowers are late on their payments, accounting for 1.8 percent of the total. About a thousand loans have been written off as bad debts that cannot be recovered. The ministry says all it can do is urge people not to take out loans for trading so that the cash can go to those truly in need. Distance learning has become the norm for students across the country. At theatre and dance schools, it's especially challenging. Performance students usually place a lot of attention on their relationship with space. Physical contact is an integral part of normal class. How are students and teachers coping with the limits on their education? Let's take a look. The teacher takes a run-up, curls his hand into a fist, and aims it at his rival's nose. This fight scene is realistic enough to get your blood racing. How do actors create the illusion that they're in a punch-up without injuring each other? In this video, the actor-turned-teacher explains all in detail and demonstrates for the class. Schools and universities are all shut right now, and students have to make do with distance learning. Chen Yanting is head of Zhengyou University of Film and Arts Acting Department. This fight from his back catalog is now an inspiring teaching point for students. 
You might think it wouldn't work to do performance and dance classes online, but I think lots of teachers have found ways to manage it. They've invented lots of exciting new methods. Theatre training involves a lot of physical contact, now impossible. Even the angles available for filming are restricted under current COVID rules. Teachers spend extra time filming themselves from various angles and editing them together later. But some students have taken the limitations and found ways to thrive. This situation has a lot of novelty, and also they have more time at home to practice alone. This video has also increased their attendance in classes and their enthusiasm. Here, students each show off a unique dance for the same song. Both theater and dance departments have to find novel ways to keep practicing through level three, but with this much passion, obstacles become fuel for creativity. We turn now to the experience of restaurants under the Level 3 pandemic restrictions. In our report, some are turning to takeaway and delivery services. Others are trying new things or finding unexpected ways to thrive. It's lunchtime, but this joint is empty, save for a few employees scrolling on their phones. This pork and pickled cabbage hotpot restaurant has been in business for over 50 years, but this wave of the pandemic shut it down for 20 days. With the level three alert extended once more, the owner has decided to try her hand at takeaway. The classic soup, the pickled cabbage, the Moorish fried meatballs, all are now shrink-wrapped for customers. You can even get a custom hotpot takeout for a small deposit. But her foray into takeaway has been a hard one. She advertised on social media, but in one day got just 10 orders. Our takings are less than 10% of what they were. I want to preserve the classic flavor and keep giving my employees a chance to work. How long can we survive? It's not just about me. Lots of restaurants are facing unknowns. This Japanese barbecue restaurant is debuting a cloud service. They deliver you barbecue equipment, then every month send fresh ingredients as well as their own recipes so you can recreate the restaurant atmosphere at home. It's the joy of doing it yourself. Plus, you can enjoy exactly the same meal as you would in the restaurant. I believe in the future this will be a new customer choice. At another barbecue restaurant, they've dropped the barbecue, instead offering deliveries of fresh ingredients. The chain has a lot of supplies to shift at discount prices, with beefsteaks, blade cuts and seafood such as scallops at half price. But profits have risen. When there's a lot to spare, you can change the price accordingly. We launched this offer a week ago and every day we've had over 100 sales. The pandemic is an extraordinary shock for hospitality. Eating out may never be the same again. The COVID pandemic has been devastating to many groups in society, but especially to children from disadvantaged households. According to the charity World Vision Taiwan, the closure of schools has left some children without access to resources such as meals or even study materials. The organization says it's doing all it can to help families in need through donations of food, disease prevention materials and electronic devices. Let's find out the extent of the problem facing students and their families.
Children from disadvantaged backgrounds have been greatly affected by Taiwan's COVID outbreak. For some, the closure of schools has meant no more healthy school lunches. Others do not possess the means to effectively join classes online. In addition, their parents may face unemployment due to the pandemic. According to a World Vision Taiwan survey, nearly 4,800 households in Taiwan are in need of material resources. Almost 4,400 need emergency financial assistance and approximately Approximately 1,500 need help to provide meals and care to children. The survey also found that more than 7,000 children lack digital devices with which to participate in online learning. Until June 8th, our 600-plus social workers conducted video calls to survey the situation at different households. They collected data on the needs of about 45,000 children. Some children asked us, after schools close, what will happen to the school lunches that we get at school? Others told us, my teacher said we have to start learning at home, but I don't have a tablet. I don't have a digital environment at home. We've also heard children say, my mom says we don't have enough money for living expenses. School closures have brought about many hardships for families, especially those who were already in a vulnerable position. World Vision Taiwan is trying to help out by providing support for physical and mental care online, as well as donating food, electronic devices, face masks, and other materials to families in need. Since the epidemic started last year, we've been donating masks, disinfectant, and epidemic prevention materials to disadvantaged families and children so they can better protect themselves. We made adjustments to our operations, switching to video calls to check up on families. After the recent outbreak, there's been many relief schemes that I think many families might not know they are eligible for. We also provide them with information on vaccine priorities. We do all this online to help them out. World Vision Taiwan says the public can help raise funds for the charity by taking part in the 32nd edition of its 30-hour famine. The event gets thousands of participants across the world giving up food for 30 hours to raise funds to help vulnerable groups through the pandemic. For most of the news, Stephanie Yang, Huang Pinghan in Taipei.